Welcome to a half hour of Mind Webs. Short stories from the worlds of speculative fiction. This is Michael Hansen. The Mind Web story this evening is copyright 1973 from the book Saving Worlds, published by Doubleday. This is Paradise Regained, a tale by Cogswell Thomas. When Petro Anthos stepped out of the matter transmitter on the planet Hell, the guards promptly surrounded him and searched him for weapons. It was the one thing they did well. As long as the condemned man reached Hell free of weapons, there was little to worry about from him. So they searched him, found nothing, and turned him over to a resident work group. Jennings took him in charge, snarled at him in front of the guards, and then put his arm around his shoulders when they had him in the barracks dome. Jennings said, Well, you're in luck. Anthos looked at him. This uh, was a thing he had not known, that hell was peopled with lunatics. Fifty light years from Earth, a vicious penal colony where one breath of the atmosphere brought choking, gagging, painful death, Hard labor seven days a week, a trickle of survival food supplements from Earth in exchange for a daily quota of coal. A place so deadly that its mere existence all but eliminated crime from the populations of Earth. Here he was, in the first five minutes of a twenty-year sentence, and a work gang chieftain put his arm around his shoulders and told him he was in luck. Anthos looked at him. Jennings was a short, stocky man with a pot belly that didn't jiggle the slightest bit when he walked. He was dirty and grimy, and his clothes were in tatters, but he had a calm air of authority about him that could be felt. Now that he thought about it, Petro Anthos realized that having the arm around his shoulders had probably kept him from screaming. Jennings said, Say, you're a, you're a gas chromatographer, aren't you? Anthos nodded numbly. Yeah, okay, now, we don't have enough time for you to really think much about this, but we have to include you in on an escape plan that we've worked out. Uh, escape? I, I thought, uh, through the matter transmitter? Look, I, I saw the other end just now, and you can't possibly... Jennings impatiently waved him quiet. Oh, uh, not, not through the matter transmitter. That is impossible. Yeah, we... But, see, we've found a place on this planet where we can live outside. 
Yeah, I know, I know. You've heard that no human being can live outside the domes or outsuits on this planet. Well, you are almost right. But we've found a place, a small valley that's barely livable. And once we get to it, we can make it more livable in time. And we need a good group to do it, though, and we need a gas chromatographer. And we had one, El Chertsey, but he got a little careless last week and inhaled a good breath of white damp. Burned out his lungs. God, he, he died hard. You know what it's like? Anthos nodded. They had made it all too clear to him before they had sentenced him to hell. The atmosphere would not support life, nor did it screen out the harmful solar radiations. Men had to wear outsuits equipped with back tanks to hold air, special breathing apparatus, protective helmets to keep out radiation and cold. Even the flora and fauna of hell would not support human life. They did not contain the vital trace compounds. The local foodstuffs were one of the secrets of Earth's hold on hell. Supplemental nutrients were passed in through the matter transmitter only in response to the quotas of coal that were passed out to Earth. And the ultimate irony was that Earth did not even need the coal, although it had none of its own. Coal was a status symbol, something to be burned in little pots in the living rooms of the very wealthy. Anthos nodded. He knew what it was like. Jennings, looking around at several other men and women gathered near, said, Well, it won't be easy. It won't be easy in the valley, not for a while. But if we're going to work 12 hours a day, seven days a week, we might as well be doing it for ourselves and not a bunch of Sybarites back on Earth. Are you with us? Anthos hesitated. He was thin and frail, and the thought of hard physical work appalled him. But he was a tough-minded chemist, a good gas chromatographer who called the shots as he saw them, which was why he was here in the first place. In the year A.D. 2688 on Earth, one simply does not, as Anthos had done, give analytical results flatly opposed to the analytical results of the Federal Horse Racing Board of Analytical Examiners concerning the urine analysis of a certain derby winner. Despite all the changes of man and animals on Earth, it was still possible to spike a horse and chemically induce an extraordinary burst of speed. Jennings noticed the hesitation and said, well, let, me, uh, let me introduce you to some of our people. Uh, Ed Jackson, mechanical engineer. Uh, so is Frank Stand over there. Anthos nodded to two grimy people. Uh, Millie Franks and Lenore Myers are chemists. And Cy Smith, electrician. Uh, that's Willie George, nothing much but a hard worker. Ernie Hillgard, biologist. Pete Standage, historian. Alex Parker, teacher. Jennings named a few more, and Anthos had the definite feeling that this was the cream of the penal colony. And finally, Anthos said, Okay, uh, I'm in. Well, that's great. Now, here's the plan. We go back into our tunnel in half an hour. The coal is almost exhausted, and the tunnel is due to be sealed off in another month. 
and we found that five kilometers down the tunnel it reaches almost to abandon a sealed tunnel from the old workings. And we've cut a small tunnel to it and stored explosives and food and equipment and some air tanks and even an air compressor. The tunnel has a lot of white damp in it, but we think we can get all of us through it okay. And at the other end, we got a small tunnel to the surface. Anthos looked at him and said, Uh, so you, you go up to the surface and die? No, no. It opens into the damnedest valley you ever saw. Kind of sealed off from the rest of the planet's surface. We can live there. It won't be easy, but we can stay alive and work to make the valley more livable. We figure in five years we can convert the valley to a place even better than Earth. And that's why we need all the skills of all these people. Jennings waved at the group around him. Now, see what we do? We blow up the tunnel we're working in right to the surface so it fills with white damp. But we're in the abandoned tunnel, which we've blown shut. And the guards will, well, they'll just take a look in the working tunnel, and when they find it filled with white damp, they'll figure we're all dead and just seal it off and forget about us. Life's cheap here. What do the guards care for a few dozen prisoners? So we go on to our valley and make it livable. Anthos's hand shook as he smoothed his mustache, but he nodded and said, All right, uh, you need me to, to monitor the atmosphere and things like that, I suppose. Uh, do you have the material for a, a gas a chromatograph? Oh, we've got a good supply of equipment we'll make out. Now, uh, in 15 minutes we move out, so take everything you can stuff in your clothing. The group scattered, leaving Anthos standing alone. He felt very much alone as he looked for the first time at the dome that served as living quarters for the prisoners. It was dark and smelly and quiet, with a tang in the air that he knew was a trace of the white damp seeping into the dome from outside. Bunks with webbing for mattresses formed in a circle around the outer perimeter of the dome, sticking straight out from the walls. Everything was smudged gray to black with the ubiquitous coal dust. He put his hands in his pockets, and as he felt how empty they were and realized he had absolutely nothing in the world except the dirty clothes he stood in, depression welled up inside him so strong he began to gasp. In an instant, Jennings was at his side, the arm around him again, saying nothing, and thus forced himself to breathe normally, and he said to Jennings, how do, you, how do you stand the noise level in here? Oh, yeah, get used to it. Okay, come on, it's time to go. The group went out the lock to the sealed vehicle, which took them to the lock at the mouth of the workings. They entered and rode for an hour to the end of the tunnel and got to work with pick and shovel. The guards got back on the tram and left. What happened then was a nightmare of unreality for Anthos. With practiced speed, the group moved a mile back down the tunnel and planted a series of explosives. They littered the floor with unusable junk from the mining gear, even including a blown air tank. They opened the small side tunnel and planted a charge in it. Climbing over the charge, they all crawled into the side tunnel, panting from the exertion, choking on the foul air, taking turns breathing from the tanks. Dimly, Anthos heard the roar of the explosion, 
and cowered from the wave of cold particles and rock dust that engulfed them and threatened to suffocate them all. In the sealed tunnel, the dust was better, but the white damp was worse. The group shouldered all the equipment they could carry and took turns pulling and dragging the air compressor. Every hour they stopped, fueled the compressor with powdered coal, recharged the air tanks, and went on. The buzzing in Anthos's ears grew louder until he could no longer hear the harsh panting from his companions. Everything grew blurred, and his muscles began to twitch and refuse to obey his will. He reached the point where he could barely stand. He put a hand on the cold wall to steady himself. He felt someone ease him to the floor of the tunnel and hold a face piece of an air tank to his nose. Slowly, his twitching muscles stilled and his breathing became normal. In five minutes, he was able to sit up and look around. Jennings said to him, The others are, are opening the tunnel to the valley. Anthos found his voice and said, Well, at least we're out of prison. Oh, we'll miss it, but we'll manage. We'll miss it, all right, but we'll get back there a few years from now. Anthos had started to turn away, but then Jennings' words sank in. Anthos turned back and said, uh, what? what? What did you say? Oh, yeah, I didn't mention it before. Once we get the valley in shape, we'll take over the whole planet. Not many guards. And with a matter transmitter out of commission, it'll, it'll take Earth 50 years to get a ship here. We'll be ready for them by then. Anthos heaved himself to his feet, indignant protests forming in his mind, but a call from the darkness said, Hey, you guys, the, uh, the tunnel's through. Let's get going. Jennings patted Anthos on the shoulder, saw that he was able to walk, and went into the small mouth of the tunnel and worked his way up. Anthos had to follow, and then he stepped out onto the surface and looked around. He was standing near one edge of a giant natural saucer measuring some six kilometers in diameter. A ring of mountains enclosed the saucer, and the shaft through which he had just emerged lay near the base of the south rim. Scattered around the rim of mountains were spots of orange light marking the raw throats of active volcanoes. Plumes of steam and smoke poured out of fissures all over the floor of the valley. The entire valley was filled with a light haze that almost obscured the sun overhead. Yet Anthos knew that without the haze, the valley would be unlivable under the unfiltered harsh radiation of the sun. And he could breathe. He could stand on the surface of hell and breathe. When he inhaled deeply, he coughed, for there was the barest trace of white damp in the air. But he could breathe. He looked at the floor of the valley more carefully. A great clear lake lay in the center, measuring perhaps three kilometers in diameter. It was fed by a wide rushing stream that sprang from the rocks halfway up the east rim. And bordering both the stream and the lake was a broad belt of greenery. Anthos was too far away to see the nature of the green things growing, but some of it stood higher than the rest and looked very much like trees. Jennings said to all of them, Well, well, there it is. May not be much, but at least it's livable, and we'll make it a lot better. We've got almost all the raw materials we'll ever need right here. So let's not waste time. We'll uh, break up into groups. 
Uh, one bunch will find us temporary places to live. Another will go back and finish bringing all the stuff that we hid in the tunnel. Another group will start looking for anything here we can eat. And then another... Jennings went on and then picked people for the various groups. Ten minutes after they arrived in the valley, they scattered to start their work. They worked until they could no longer stand, and then they rested. They worked harder than they had ever worked as prisoners mining coal. The days blended into weeks and months, and in four years they accomplished what they had thought would take them five. Jennings called them together in their outdoors meeting place and said, Well... <clears throat> well, I, I think we're ready to move on to the next step. The valley is in good, livable shape now, and except for one critical trace compound, we're more than self-sufficient. We can get new supplies of that compound when we take over the main camp. Okay, we're ready to move. Anthos said, uh, I'll take the group that handles the demolitions. I want to make certain that no one gets hurt. That all right with you, Colonel? I wouldn't want it any other way. Jennings smiled at Anthos, smiled at the changes four years had made in him. Anthos was lean as a slat, broad as a board, all sinew and whipcord. His mustache had grown greater and rattier than ever, and his large liquid brown eyes missed nothing as they snapped over the landscape. Anthos, the gas chromatographer, had evolved into Jennings' second-in-command. Jennings continued. Set it up, Petro. Do it tomorrow. The operation went smoothly. The guards were not very alert and were easily enticed out of the transmitter building. After the explosion, Anthos's men quickly went in and carefully fused all remaining components. Then, from a safe distance, Anthos explained that all of them, guards and prisoners alike, were totally marooned, and that the only salvation for any of them was to join Jennings' group in the valley. Wisely, Anthos told them not to make up their minds now, but that he'd be back the next day for their answer. Anthos wanted it to sink in that there would be no more supplies coming from Earth, that the only Earth-type atmosphere existed in the valley, and that even the air in the domes would slowly go bad. When Anthos returned the next day, everybody was ready to join him in the trip to the valley. The guards were huddled with their weapons in one group. The prisoners were in a separate group. Anthos collected the weapons and made it clear that they were all in this together, guards and prisoners alike. It took three days to get all the people from the side of the prison domes to the valley. The guards were moved last and Anthos stayed with them. He watched their faces as they came up out of the tunnel into the valley and looked around. Then he took them to the meeting place where Jennings was waiting to talk to them. They sat down, hundreds of them, and from where they sat, they had a fine view of the valley. Jennings waved out over the valley and said so all of them could hear. There it is, almost perfect earthside conditions. The haze and smoke in the valley were so thick, the rays of the sun could no longer penetrate. Long streaks of yellow flames licked along the surfaces of exposed coal veins, burning, pouring dense clouds of smoke into the air. Jennings said, 
just inhale good sulfur dioxide and nitrous oxides, plenty of carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide. Why, when we first got here, the sky was blue. Think of that. You could hardly breathe because of the oxygen in the air. Why, that white damp was like the Earth's atmosphere 700 years ago before our forefathers changed it. The sun shone right through here most of the time. Can you imagine what it was like? Look at that lake down there. It was as blue as the sky. Unfortunately, we found some phosphate deposits and we loaded the lake with them. And just look at it now. Rich, green, nutritious water. The lake was jelly thick with algae, and bubbles of marsh gas could be seen breaking the surface here and there. Boy, we even have fish in there. But we only began to extract mercury two months ago, and we haven't yet been able to bring the mercury content of the carp up to the point where they're edible. Another few months. And feel the temperature. We're up to 100 degrees Fahrenheit now, and we're going up all the time. It'll soon be normal. There's plenty of carbon dioxide in the air now, and we have a greenhouse effect. We've only got one immediate problem. We can't yet make a critical compound, DDT. But it is non-biodegradable, and there is an enormous amount of it in the sewage deposits of the prison camp, so we'll go back and extract the DDT and use it as a food supplement until we can make it ourselves. Well, you like it so far? Guards and prisoners alike nodded and clapped. Jennings held up his hand for silence. Well, the best is yet to come. What we've done here, we can do to the rest of the planet. We've done some exploring, and there are extensive oil pools available. We can flood the streams, rivers, lakes, and oceans with oil to kill off most of the harmful oxygen-producing organisms. We'll burn open coal veins to cut off the harmful sun rays and give us carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, and the sulfur compounds we need in the air. By eliminating the native flora and fauna, we ought to be able to reclaim huge portions of the planet, or maybe even the whole thing. We'll spray with DDT so the plants and animals will take it up and become nutritious. It won't take too long to get a proper greenhouse effect working for the whole planet. We'll make a second Earth here. Are you with us? A roar of approval went up. Cheers, whistles, shouting. On and on it went. A guard leaped from his seat in the front row, went up to Jennings, and shook his hand and turned to the assembled crowd. They slowly quieted as they saw he wanted to say something. He said, uh, four, four months ago, about four months ago, I, I came to hell from, from Earth. And I want to tell you now that this place, he waved his hand out toward the valley, this place makes me feel more at home than any place I've been since I left New York City. I say we make the whole planet livable. The cheers were deafening.
That story is titled Paradise Regained, written by Cogswell Thomas. Copyright 1973. It was first published in the Doubleday book Saving Worlds, edited by Roger Elwood and Virginia Kidd. This is Michael Hansen. Technical operation for this broadcast by Rich Grody. Mindwebs is a production of WHA Radio in Madison, a service of University of Wisconsin Extension.